Hello everybody, this is Two Guys Five Movies, this one of your co-hosts Chris Gasberry. This is Frank Pelican. And tonight we are going to bring to you the top five foreign psychopath films. <clears throat> I'm excited about this, Frank, because this is the start of our October movie list. Um, this week we're going to be doing this list of the foreign psychopath films. Next week we are going to introduce our new series, the Third Man series, with our friend Aiden Boyer. And we're going to be looking at the best M. Night Shyamalan film. Uh, each of you have your own picks. And then the third week of the month, we're going to be doing the top five horror movies in the 1970s. Mm, I'm excited for that list. Yeah. And then um, the last week, we're going to do something special for Halloween, where we're going to be looking at the Phantasm series and discussing it um, uh, in total. So <clears throat> um, this list tonight, the top five foreign psychopath films... Uh, you actually kind of developed this list a while back. Why, why did you pick this list specifically? Um, I mean, honestly, it just gives me a reason to talk about some of these movies mm. where I don't know that they would ever fit on any other list. Um, but also, since I was young, like I've been kind of, I guess, fascinated by the idea of like serial killers and I don't know, like just the idea of like, the psychosis that goes into somebody, like, murdering or, like, I guess, like, inflicting harm on someone else for pleasure. Like, it's a really, like, disturbing idea. Um, probably a little more romanticized when I was a kid, maybe, and, like, a little more, like, cringeworthy now to think about that. But at the same time, like, I still find it kind of fascinating, and I think that when it's done well, when it's not, like, completely exploitive, like, it can be a really, um, really interesting and, like, thought-provoking way to like tell a narrative through you know your main character basically being someone who is or the main characters in a situation where they're being like tormented by someone who is like psychotic in some way um and i think all these movies do a really good job of not dipping into being exploitation um there's a couple like actually classic films on this list and then some others that are like more i don't know like b-movie fair but they still kind of rise above like the standard slasher where they delve more into kind of the the actual psychology of why, like, these people are doing these things, mm -hmm. or what can turn someone from being, like, a normal, like, quote-unquote normal person into someone that can commit those acts without any, like, real remorse or without any kind of real hesitation, so. Yeah, I didn't think about that. That's a definite theme for all five of these yeah. movies. Do you think that's necessary to kind of... Sure. Rise above just the common um, horror I mean, yeah, slasher film? Like, a slasher movie is a slasher movie. Like, you don't... I mean, really, I guess there's motivation to Jason, to Freddy, to Michael Myers, really. But, like, the motivation is so, like, paper thin. It's more just a means to an end to get them to the point where they're murdering people as opposed to an actual examination of, like, the human condition and, like, why is someone like this? Um, and also, you know, the people that are the victims in this movie, the people that are, like, affected by these killers aren't just, like, cardboard cutout, like, caricatures that are there just to be murdered, which I think is one of the... And don't get me wrong, like, there's plenty of slasher movies that I love, <clears throat> but I think that for a slasher movie to rise above just being, like, like, grindhouse, like, exploitation, like, horror, it has to present something more, and I think the idea of, like, how, you know neighbors, coworkers, family members, whatever, like, interact with these people or are, like, affected by these people, I think it just makes it more, like, interesting and more, like, thought-provoking. 
Okay. <clears throat> and honestly, you know, I mean, not to like denigrate like American film, but I think that I think that foreign directors are a little more keen to make their films more artistic. Um, I mean, obviously, one of the films on the list is directed by like a master of cinema, and I would even argue that another one is still like a master, but. Even like the more minor films are still directed by people that I think are thought provoking and really like capable directors. So okay. Um, the only other thing I wanted to ask you before we get started on the list, <clears throat> one common critique of all these movies, and it's not the first time we've delved into this, but I don't think we've um, had any kind of discussion about this before, is all of them are con- are criticized for the gr- uh, gratuity in terms of violence. Sure. Um, do you feel that there are certain points that are beyond like good taste in terms of violence in these movies, or just in general? In general, I would oh, say sure. there's a series of Japanese movies called the Guinea Pig films, mm-hmm. the Guinea Pig series, um, mid mid eighties, I think, until like late eighties, maybe even early nineties, that are like the epitome of what you would call torture porn. Now, mm-hmm. I, that that holds no appeal to me whatsoever. Like. There has to be a reason behind seeing something awful happen. Like, you have to have... You have to be able to take something from it on, like, a personal or, like, a human level. Mm-hmm. So, just showing someone, I don't know, get murdered mm-hmm. in a graphic way doesn't really hold any appeal to me. But if it's got a meaning behind it, then I can kind of accept the gratuity a little bit. Um, and even in some of these films, like, I think maybe... <clears throat> maybe it's a tad too much sometimes. Um, but even then, like, because the overall story, like, is carrying it, I can kind of, like, look past it. And, look, like, full disclosure, I used to be super into, like, like really heavily violent movies. <clears throat> to the point where at one time I would probably told you that those guinea pig movies were, like, like fantastic movies. Mm-hmm. But the older I get, the more I realize that, like, number one, it's just not, like, cool to hurt other people. Mm-hmm. So if I'm not, like learning or at least like feeling something from it like if it's just me like i'm not so desensitized to violence that i can just watch graphic violence for no reason like i don't think there's any point to that i mean that's why i don't think i don't think the hostile movies really hold any kind of like credible artistic value i think they're just kind of like glossy high budget exploitation Mm. and for like the worst reasons really yeah like i think eli roth is kind of a hack in that respect um, because I don't think he necessarily is putting anything behind it. He's just titillating you to do, like, you know, just for the sheer titillation of it. Like, it's just gratuity for gratuitous' sake. sake. You got it? Yeah. yeah. Um, so. And I don't think any of these movies fall into that range. I think they're all, they're all thought-provoking and worthy of, like, examination. Okay. So let's go ahead and get started on the list real quick. Okay. Um, number five. Calvary, uh, 2006 French film. Uh, Duelts is the director's last name. This has a, I don't know if you know this, a 39% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes. I think it's the lowest critical score that we've had so far yeah. uh, on any of your list. And a 51% from audiences. So roundly, um, roundly uh, criticized. Disliked. Or disliked maybe, but sure. certainly criticized. <clears throat> Um, reading through even the critical reviews, though, I would say that 
they see that there's some merit to some of it, but ultimately it's like a negative review. So a lot of the reviews were mixed in some regards, and some just absolutely yeah. hated it. But um, they were fairly mixed, I thought. Like That's one of the interesting things about Rotten Tomatoes as an aggregator, mm -hmm. is that a review can be... I think it's okay to see like negative elements in a film and mm -hmm. still celebrate the positive elements of it, but yeah. because Rotten Tomatoes has to like decide whether it's fresh yeah. or not fresh, that... I mean, ultimately, if they feel like it's more negative than positive. Sure, and I, I and, and it's interesting because I've seen two two out of four star reviews that are considered negative reviews. Yeah, and I don't know if that's necessarily negative, like two out of four. Yeah, I don't um, know if a neutral review is a negative review. Right. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> anyway, did you want to go ahead and describe like what uh, the synopsis sure. of the movie, and then uh, start getting into your points? So, um, Mark is the main character. He's a like a lounge singer, kind of, who performs at um, retirement homes, kind of. Uh, he's leaving a retirement home where the people, like, it's kind of established that he's frequented there and the people are kind of in love with him, including the woman that's, like, the head nurse. Uh, he's on his way to perform at a Christmas, like, gathering. Um, his van breaks down in the woods in Belgium. Um, he gets kind of lost. He's sort of, sort of saved by like, a mostly, like, idiotic, like, young, like, emaciated kid who takes him to this inn. The inn is run by this guy named Bartel, um, who initially seems, like, helpful and friendly and offers to fix the van and put him up overnight. Um, some odd things happen, like, in that time where Bartel is kind of, comes off as a little, maybe, like, off, I guess. Um, over the course of, like, the next day, Mark wanders into the woods, comes upon a group of villagers, like, watching a boy, like, sodomize a pig, I guess, um, in a way that makes it seem like they're watching, like, a tender act. I think that's even said, like, so tender or something. It's it's really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, comes back and finds that his van is still not fixed, has more uncomfortable... Or, no, he comes back and finds that Bartel has gone through his things, including finding a, like, like a semi-pornographic like picture that the head nurse from the other place had, like, left him. Realizes Bartel has gone through his stuff, confronts him, gets knocked out. Bartel, like, blows up his van. And then it's just, like, crazy from that point forward. Like, he's basically kidnapped. Realizes that Bartel thinks that he's the ex-wife that, like, left him and cheated on him. And Bartel, like, cuddles with him. And I don't know. There's a whole bunch of ridiculousness. Um, to the point where it turns out that it's kind of implied that all the villagers were having sex with Bartel's ex-wife. And they kind of storm the house to take Mark back, like, because everyone thinks that he's this woman. Yeah. Um, he ends up escaping after some awful stuff happens to him. Um, and is, like, kind of left in the woods where, like, one by one, like, he eludes, like, all of his captors until finally there's one guy left that kind of just, like, sinks into the mud and he's left alone. I don't know. It's, um... It's a pretty crazy movie. Like, it goes from being... A solid narrative to kind of like a loose narrative to just random like insanity not even random just insanity at times but I think there's actually a lot of purpose behind everything that happens in it and I think that it's kind of a I mean so the title of the film um, Calvary you know is Calvary Calvary um, in Belgian I guess or French I don't mm -hmm. know what language it's in <clears throat> well it's a Belgian movie but I assume that could still be French um, so it sort of is like a Christ narrative almost um, just in the sense of, like, 
suffering and rebirth and forgiveness, you know, that you can go through like a terrible ordeal. That's actually the American title of the film is The Ordeal. Um, you can go through an, this terrible, these terrible things, like the worst things that could happen to you and still come out and have your humanity and forgive, which I think is probably like from the perspective of Marcus, the central character is kind of the, the theme mm-hmm. to the movie. Um, just again, like some ridiculously like upsetting visual things that happen in this movie. Um, some terrible things that happen to him as a person, <clears throat> just from a human perspective. But again, like, I don't necessarily feel it ever slips into like being exploitation or like gratuitous. Um, I feel like there's enough distance from the act and the camera that it's more like everything is more implied. Like even when the kid is like sodomizing the pig, it's filmed from like a low dark angle. So you're not like, it's not like penetration. I mean, it's a terrible act and it's like awful, but it's meant to show it's like your first like glimpse into the crack of the sanity of this place that he's trapped in. And honestly, like, I've seen this movie maybe like five times um, since I first saw it. And I saw it when it was released on DVD based on an Ain't It Cool News review of it. But it was basically just like, this movie's crazy, you need to watch it. Um, I almost think now that like, it might not even really be happening the entire movie. Mm. Like it's got a very, there's a very grounded, realistic feel to the filmmaking in the first 10 minutes of the movie until he gets into the woods. And the further he gets into the woods... The darker it gets, the more claustrophobic it gets, the more, like, dreamlike it becomes. And I almost feel that maybe none of those things happen to him. Like, maybe that's him. It's some subconscious thing. Like, maybe some guilt that he has for... Or some regret for, like, his profession or whatever. Like, how he feels his station in life is... um, not that it necessarily has to, you have to have that kind of suspension of disbelief. I yeah. mean, you can watch this as, like, actually happening and still, yeah. I think, get the same, like, feelings from it. But I almost wonder if maybe it is kind of like almost a fairy tale type setting in the sense that he is just, like, lost in the woods. It's almost like kind of the hero's journey. Again, like, the whole, like, Christ symbolism of it is him, like, going from being this, like, almost like an itinerant, right? Is that the phrase for someone that wanders around? Yeah. Um, like vagabond, like gypsy, whatever entertainer, to actually coming out of it like a better person that can still like maintain his humanity and forgive like these terrible things that have happened. So that's a whole lot of talking. There is are there are there any hints early on in the film about his relationships or anything like that, or the way like how he deals with like women and stuff? Isn't there something about that um, early on? I like I always get the impression that. The woman coming on to him as he's leaving the nursing home mm-hmm. is something that's happened to him repeatedly, right. just in the way that he's kind of dismissive. Yeah. He doesn't necessarily find it to be, um, he doesn't, he doesn't take any kind of, it's not like complimentary to him that this woman's yeah. hitting on him. It's just like yeah. par for the course. Like he knows that he's appealing to like older people, mm-hmm. which is why he does what he does. He, he He's almost exploitive in what he's doing, mm-hmm. even though like. It's implied that he lives out of this van, that he just, like, travels from place to place because all of his clothes and belongings are there. So you kind of get the impression that, I mean, he really is just kind of like a gypsy in that sense, that he's just, like, traveling from place to place. Um, I mean, whether you take it as a symbolic journey or not, certainly he has to go through the experience of being feminized and 
um, yeah, you know, treated like uh, I mean, there's certainly commentary here on how women are treated. Yes, uh, as as objects, right? As yeah. possessions, sure. As animals, even animals, like, yeah. sure. Um, there's the whole weird. <clears throat> there's a lot of things in this movie that I I think if you just watch it from the perspective of if you watch it from the perspective of these things are actually happening and the narrative is 100% reliable, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that I think would turn people off when they're watching this movie. Sure. And not not just from the sense that, like, it's difficult to watch, you know, from a human perspective, but in the sense that, like, it doesn't really make any sense. Like, there's the... Bartell at one point, like, leaves Mark in the house, ties him up. Or no, he has him tied up on the back of, like, a, like a horse cart or a hay mm-hmm. cart or whatever. Yeah. And he goes into the bar in the village, which he's warned Mark not to go to to get a drink. And he basically goes crazy and tells everybody, you know, Gloria, who's his ex-wife, has come back and she's mine. And I know that you all had her before, but you can't have her again. Like, she's all mine now. Mm-hmm. And the villagers actually seem, like, upset and, like, perplexed by the way that he acts. Like, they seem, like, fearful of him. Mm-hmm. But as soon as he leaves, there's this just, like, insane segment where they start playing this, like, discordant, like, polka yeah. music and start, like, dancing around in the bar. Yeah. And it doesn't make any sense. And I can see why, again, like, if you're just watching it and thinking, like, okay, these events are actually occurring, like, you'd be like, you know, like, what the hell am I watching? Like, what is, what's, you know, what's going on? Um, but when you watch it from a symbolic, and I think it's interesting that you bring up the fact of, like, the treatment of women and things. Um, Febreze, Febreze Duels, the guy that directed the movie, um, is a pretty, a lot of his movies deal with, like, the psychological complications of the relationships between people and how people can turn to doing terrible things because of like their psychological conditions and the other ones and they're all escaping like my my friend harry or something like that is one of them i mean he's got like several movies that are actually with laurent lucas who plays the mark characters in a few of these movies um they're all a lot more traditional like hitchcockian type like suspense movies this is the most abstract or surreal of his movies but it's all the same thing it's just like how do we treat each other how do men treat women and that's like a big theme that he deals with Mm. um sometimes flipped is like how do women treat men like how do men like exploit women and whatever and the fact that here's a guy in the mark character who is basically using his his good looks and his voice to exploit like older women for his own gain mm-hmm. is then exploited by this village of just like insane right presumably like cuz there's no women like anywhere right. in the movie like right. once again which is another one of those kind of fantastical elements yeah. of the and another reason why i think that it is almost like it maybe could be i don't know like i don't want to call it like like mythos or um, like an allegory, but I, I think it is kind of like almost like a fairy tale in the sense, or maybe like a dream sequence, like just a really long, like two hour dream sequence um, because it is just all men. Like there's yeah. like, there's, there's younger like people in the village. Mm-hmm. There's obviously been right. presumably women at some point. Um, the pig symbolism again, because pig is like a, you know, like a symbol of like chauvinistic men. Sure. You know, the pigs are raped. The pigs, like, take the place of dogs. Like, in the end, when they're coming yeah. to, like, raid the house, like, they have pigs on They have shit. sex with the pigs, which yeah. are a replacement for women. I mean, there's... So, it's... I I think there's a lot of commentary here that if you really... 
I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna compare it to something that I actually like. I hate. Um, James Joyce has a short story called Aramie, huh. um, yeah, yeah. where there's an apple tree in like this abandoned like lot or whatever, uh-huh. and the boy's losing his innocence, and it's around like this apple tree is like the central thing, right? Yeah. And my argument is always, it doesn't matter what kind of tree it is because the story is still the story. Because, like, the argument is always that the symbolism is, like, the fall from grace or, like, Eve, like, eating the apple or whatever. Uh-huh. And my argument is, like, it doesn't matter if it's a peach tree or a pear tree. It's still the same story. Yeah. Um, and I think that, like, I always hate, like, putting too much symbolism into things. But I think that if you really want to look into the symbolism of this movie, I think you can find a lot of things that supports what you said, that it is about, like, it's about the ownership of women and it's about the subjugation of women and it's about men taking the power away from women and it doesn't matter if it's an actual woman or just another thing that's been given the characteristics of a woman, like an animal or like another man that's like more effeminate or weaker than these people, that there still is this subjugation that happens where the strong are going to like, you know, basically like oppress the weak kind of. And then again, to the Christ symbolism of it, which I think is honestly like the most prevalent symbolism, um, because there is like, you know, Mark is crucified at one point, and when he like comes out of the woods at the end of the movie, he comes into a graveyard where there's like very like pointedly, you know, like a crucified Christ like gravestone or whatever. And when the man is dying at the end, when Mark has the chance to like help him or watch him suffer he just forgives him and tells him he loves him and I really think that that's kind of the whole point is that you know you can suffer more indignity than like is even like humanly conceivable and still maintain your humanity and give forgiveness so and obviously like even just watching it without thinking of any symbolism like it's still just a crazy ass movie with some pretty pretty amazing and disturbing like visual elements to it I mean that movie is it's absolutely there 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 are scenes that there's a lot of scenes made me uncomfortable uh when I watched this the first time and then when I rewatched it a couple of them still made me uncomfortable I even find like the bar scene that you mentioned on Sedling oh it's incredibly unsettling Uh, um it it it, there's elements in the movie of like the hysteria of men yeah well it's it it's nightmarish at times yeah it's like one of the things that I find the most like horrifying in film and I think maybe it's because I find it like truly like frightening in real life is the idea that a person could be so crazy that your existence is meaningless to them right like that they're so insane that they're operating on like a different almost like level of existence than you are to the point where like you don't matter so when when they're dancing around and it's just because it's not done and like it could be comedic if it were filmed like a little differently right but it's just like... Instead, it's a tragedy. Yeah, and it's so, like, crazy. Yeah. And I also like the fact that it's it's almost filmed in, like, four distinct different stocks, kind of. There's, like, the very, like, realistic, like, standard film style beginning of the movie. And then there's the very washed out, almost, like, overexposed style when he's first at the end, where it's, like, kind of dreamlike, but still grounded in reality. And when they're in the woods, the woods is, like, very... Because, like, the middle segment of the movie when he, like, he escapes at one point and then Bartell goes and gets him back and there's just some things that happen, like, in there. The woods are very, almost, like, hyper-real. Like, it's, like, the greens and, like, browns of the woods 
with like the blacks of the shadows and um, what it's like a yellow or orange tarp that gets put over them, I guess, right? Yeah. Um, and that's like very bright. And then the end of the movie is just like until he comes out of the woods at the end, which is again like washed out and snowy and white and like muddy. It's all very like black and fiery, and it's it's just I don't know. It's it's very distinct in the sense of how it moves between scene to scene. And I think that if I put like a lot more thought into it, we, you could probably come up with some kind of like analogy there between like those different phases of it. Yeah. Um. But I don't know. Yeah. Now that we've started talking about it, now I almost want to watch it again just to see. Yeah. What I can do there. I mean, again, like I, I've watched it probably like four or five times. Yeah. Um, I've recommended it to a few people, some of whom have watched it. Is that the one that Aaron yeah. like, asked, why the fuck did you make me watch this movie? Well, no, he really enjoyed it. It was his his um, girlfriend at the oh, time, okay. who eventually became his wife, oh, okay. that said, like, like, why did you make me watch this <laughs> movie? Like, what are you like, what are you doing? Yeah. And like, he sent me a, a text or whatever, and I was like, like I, I almost had to apologize, but yeah. like, I really enjoyed it. Um, I, it's not going to be for everybody. Sure. I don't know that, like, even the majority of people would enjoy it, but I think that, I think it deserves, like, a watch, at least. Yeah. Like, if you I, 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 I found it pretty horrifying the first time I watched it, just taking it as a straight film, and this is what's really happening to Mark, and yeah. I'm somebody who's terrified of the idea of home invasion, so the sure. idea of abduction and being treated like that reminds me of, like, the, I, my fear, it's the same fear that I have of home invasions. Yeah, because he's beaten, assaulted, he's made to act like a woman, a right. dog. Sure. He's sodomized at one yeah. point. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah. there's terrifying things that happen right. to this yeah. man that are really, like, uncomfortable in the way that they're shot, yeah. but. But the, se- but the second time, like, I started seeing a little bit more of, like, those elements we've been talking about, yeah. and I, I think if I watch it again, I might even get more out of it. And I really feel like, I mean, this guy is, Fabrice Duwells is, for lack of a better term, I mean, he's a, he's a low-budget, like, B-movie director, I think. I don't know. I mean, I've never heard any real criticism of him. I don't know that anybody, like, necessarily considers him, like, an important filmmaker, but... I'll be honest, like, every single one of his movies is at least watchable and many times compelling. Um, the other ones, especially with uh, Laurent Lucas, are just really well done. Like, I like that guy a lot as an actor. I don't, aside from the Febreze Duell stuff, I don't know really what else he's been in. But, like, I really enjoy him as a performer. Any, so. any criticisms that you have of the movie? No, I don't know. Not really. Um, I think it... I think it like the pacing in the middle of the film is probably a little jagged in terms of like stopping and starting a little bit. Yeah, that, that um, I, I can kind of see that. I mean, that's about it. I mean, you're either going to like kind of enjoy this or not enjoy it at all. I don't know if anybody's going to be like over the moon about this movie. I mean, I honestly like love this movie. Really? Like, I really. I just is, think it's a really solid movie. Th- this is one of my favorite movies. That I kind of feel like I just discovered. I mean, even though I read about it on any of the news, like this is something where no preconceived notions going into it, and it absolutely like blew me away the first time I saw it. Like I was so I don't know if shaken is the right word, because I don't know if I'm ever really shaken by a movie, but as close <laughs> as I can come to that, where I felt like genuinely uncomfortable after yeah. the film finished. And to me, like a movie that can do that to you and still have like some artistic merit, yeah. like there's no, the first time I watched it, I, I thought it, I, I was I thought it was really really good. The second time I watched it, <coughs> I thought it was good. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, so, you'd recommend when under what conditions would you recommend it? I don't know. I mean, if you're 
if you got time to kill, you're willing to take a chance, I guess. Like, <laughs> that is you, you that is a hell of a recommendation right there. That's who strong. Do you, who do you recommend it to? Like, the, the, the United States Senate. <laughs> yeah. yeah sure. uh, they could use it right, right about they, now. They, they don't have the... <clears throat> <laughs> they don't have the capacity for like understanding symbolism to take anything from it. That's true. They'd probably get banned, right? Or I'd get arrested. Yeah. Sure. Um, I don't know if you're a fan of horror movies, especially like stuff like Last House on the Left or Texas Chainsaw, where like you can you find appreciation in like the insanity of something happening to like a normal person, yeah. and you you probably would enjoy. This yeah, movie. I think that's the right call. Yeah, like if you like Texas Chainsaw, you should check it out. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to number four, which is uh, Chan-Wook Park's 2003 Old Boy with a Rotten Tomatoes score from critics of 80% from an audience of 94%. Uh, did, you want to go ahead and talk a little bit about the movie and what you like about it? Um, I don't want to get too much into spoilers in this movie, although we're going to have to talk about some. So, yeah. uh, Ode Su is a drunken lout, basically, um, South Korea. On a drunken night with his friend, um, he's gets arrested, I guess, right? And then goes to call his wife to tell her that he's been, like, delayed. Um, gets kidnapped. Gets dumped into a single room with a television and a bed, basically. Um, ends up spending 15 years of his life uh, trapped in this room. Doing nothing but, like, push-ups and eating dumplings. Like, the same dumplings, like, every day from this <laughs> restaurant. Um, is eventually just released um, through a series of events like finds that his captor is like still like tracking him and like had a reason for capturing him but won't tell him what it is um, is like an amateur sleuth and like tracks it down to being uh, a childhood like schoolmate named is it Wu Jin is that right? Uh, Wu Jin yes um, and then you find through the exposition of the movie, like, why Wu Jin imprisoned him. Um, he ends up becoming, like, close and eventually intimate with a young girl that works at a, I guess, a sushi place, maybe, or something, yeah. like a seafood restaurant named mm-hmm. Mi, Mi, Mi Do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you find, like, how all of those things connect um, to the point where, like, why Wu Jin was so intent on, like, torturing and basically breaking this man for 15 years of his life, like why he felt that he needed to do that. Um, really, really, really fantastic performances um, by the guy that plays Daesu, um, Choi Min-sik, uh, who's one of my favorite Korean actors. Um, Chan Wook Park, just like brilliant direction. Um, very, very tightly paced, uh, very claustrophobic at times, but also very like, open and beautiful at times as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Park has a really, I think a really masterful ability to tell a story that's like, he, he makes genre films. Like all of his movies are basically in some manner, like a genre film. Like, and this is, this is part of a trilogy of revenge movies. There's sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, this and lady vengeance. Um, and you know, revenge movies are pretty commonplace. Like, in, in cinema, like it's a pretty like common trope or whatever, <clears throat> but Park has the ability, I think, to craft them in a way that's both just like outright entertaining. Like I think there's stuff in this movie that's <clears throat> engaging, and I mean, like 
somewhat fun to watch. You know, the scene where he's like beating down. You mean like the fa- the famous fight sequence? Yeah, the, the hammer fight. I mean, if anybody, even if they haven't seen this movie, a lot of people probably yeah. have like seen like Somewhat that's, familiar with that right? Scene. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, and that's what pretty much like a lot of the Marvel television shows on Netflix oh, now sure. are like using as inspiration. Yeah. For well, that that scene in yeah. first season of Daredevil where he yeah. fights all those people, right, in the hallway, much longer, but sure. still like the same. Yeah, like it's it's in the spirit of that. Yeah, it's famous fight sequence where it's, there's no cuts in it whatsoever, and there's like one use of CGI in terms of a stabbing in it. <clears throat> Otherwise, it's like all naturally yeah, filmed, just practical. And it took them three days to actually get the sequence, so they would do it all in one shot, which is amazing. I mean, it's it's worth it. Um, what yeah. they did there, but, yeah, the choreography of it is pretty fantastic. Yeah. Um, I think it's a pretty compelling story. Um, I think the mystery is, and again, like, I don't necessarily want to spoil the mystery if if you haven't seen it, because I think that where you can talk about the entirety of uh, Calvary, because it's more the visual that's shocking rather than, like, the story itself. Um, I think... Yeah, it's like the opposite. You can talk about the story, you don't want to talk about specific scenes so much in Calvary. I, I think spoiling the mystery of Old Boy, like, takes away from kind of the magic of seeing it for the first time, because really like towards the last third of this film where like the, I don't know, like the driving force behind like the characters is revealed. It's, it's actually pretty like upsetting when you first see it Mm -hmm. and kind of like stays with you for a little while. Like, especially there's towards the end of the movie, there's a choice that Desu has to make. And you've, you've seen this man grow from, like, this lout to this just crazed vigilante to almost this kind of, like, zen, like, pragmatic figure who's, like, capable of acceptance and forgiveness but still has a violent nature to him. And he makes this choice, and the choice is, like, number one, again, to Park's credit, like, it's never firmly or overtly stated, like, what his choice is. You kind of have to infer, like, what's happened. Yeah. From watching it, but just in seeing, like, when he has to do it, like, it's so, it's so impactful because you've really come to, like, care about these characters and maybe not even care, but just kind of relate to them. And, it, well, Mito particularly, like, I, I think you come to care for. Mm-hmm. But even though, um, even Wu Jin, like, I think you sort of develop a certain level of, like, at least understanding, sympathy or yeah. compassion towards them. Yeah. Like, uh, Park. Park doesn't have cookie cutter characters. Like Park doesn't have like villains who are gonna. Even though there are like soliloquies or whatever, or, like where the villains like monologuing, it does. It's not ever done in a way that's like grandiose or I don't know. Like they all feel. There's a thing that that I think that Park does really well in all of his movies, where he he treads a really fine line between just a very realistic portrayal of life and like a <clears throat> like a hyper stylized like Grand Gugnol I don't know like action like sensibility but he does it in a way where it never strays too far into the fantastic where you lose the believability of what's happening on the film and I think that that's I think that's a really rare talent in a director and it now, granted, it might be because I'm not ever seeing his movies in a language that I speak. Mm. So I'm always just reading, like, an English interpretation of the dialogue. And maybe maybe that's part of me feeling, like, more grounded because there's that visual connection right. between, like, the words and what's occurring. 
<clears throat> but even from a, you know, even when Desu is like performing things that are like honestly superhuman. I mean, he he fights what like probably like fifty people in that scene, and like beats them with very little like ill effect to himself. You think of a man that's done nothing for fifteen years but train his strength and his ability to like fight, and it kind of like has a. Even though it's fantastic, it kind of does have a feeling of believability to it. Yeah. Um, and again, event when they when the plot starts to kind of unspool and you sort of find out what the true mystery is and like why the reason behind Desu's imprisonment, um, it's done in such a way that it's I don't know it's it, it's tragic and it's horrifying and it's honestly like kind of understandable. <laughs> like you sort of understand like why. Sure. Wu Jin is doing these things to him. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I I can't say a lot about this movie without spoiling it, but it's yeah. like I think that element of it is probably my favorite part. Honestly, is um is is that like last thirty minutes where things start to come together and you start understanding why? Um, because it really is like it's a Greek tragedy. It like is. that's that's I mean I think that's what it's based off of. Honestly, is the more I. Uh, watching it again yeah, not too long it's, ago yeah. it, it's based off a of manga yeah that was out like a few years before it I don't really know anything about like the source material I, I think it's a pretty faithful adaptation I, I guess yeah. I don't know um, I, I've read a couple interviews with Park where he, he does acknowledge that there's a definite influence of Oedipus on mm-hmm. that um, makes sense yeah uh, so, but it's like it, it plays out that way. I mean, that that final major sequence in the film, yeah. it plays out like a Greek tragedy. But for as tragic as it is, it's also perversely hopeful. Maybe that in like, the very end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah even I think, like yeah, even yeah. the last like fifteen minutes, like you kind of feel that everyone is kind of getting what they need to get. In a lot of ways. Sure. And maybe not what they deserve so much as, like, what they need to move on from the things that created the situation yeah. that they're in. And the, the very ending is extremely ambiguous, it necessarily. Is. Yeah, 100%. I mean, very much... Uh, that was around the same time, too, wasn't it? Lost in Translation was right around that same time uh, yeah, when that came so. out. 2004. Yeah, something like that. So it's like... Um, very not in terms of the content of, of the no. scene, <laughs> but um, just in just in terms of that in the ambiguity of the yeah. ending. You wonder not, what, uh, you wonder what's going to become of like you know the the characters at the end, and he purposely left that open yeah. um, in this so that people could discuss it. But. Um, it's definitely like if you're a fan of like Asian cinema or action movies, or even like sort of like. If you can take some, like, overt violence and you're a fan of, like, the Hitchcockian, like, thriller, mm-hmm. um, definitely worth watching. Yeah, it melds a lot of a lot of different types of genres into this movie. One of, yeah. one of the films where it's so good that it was remade and it was remade for no reason because the remake is just the film. Basically. Right, right. But yeah. worse. Yeah. Um, the Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin, I think. It's Josh Brolin. Um, not good. But yeah. it's... It's not good because there's nothing about it that wasn't done better in the original. Sure. It's sort of like the Psycho remake. Yeah. The yeah, Gus yeah. Psycho. Is Where like, he just completely redoes shot for shot. Yeah, there's there's nothing overtly objectionable about it, except for the fact that there's no reason for it to exist. <laughs> right. I guess. If that makes any sense. I, I think that's still, you can object to it on those grounds. Yeah, I mean, maybe. That it like, doesn't why? need to exist. You know, right. like, 
if you're gonna if you're gonna remake a movie and you're gonna make it an American version of the movie, just do something different. Like make sure. it change something about it, or like just make your own movie for Christ's sakes. But right, yeah. you know, I understand because there's a lot. You know, I watch a lot of like Asian cinema, and there's a lot of remakes that have come out. Especially, like, the J-horror stuff that was out in, like, the late 90s, early 2000s, sure. where all of that stuff got remade. Well, it's like you take something like um, Infernal Affairs, yeah. which was remade. And I think that Scorsese was successful in kind of remaking yeah, yeah. it in its own in his own way. The, the, the Departed is enough of a different yeah. movie, while still maintaining the spirit of the original, sure. that it's worth And that's a successful redo, where the yeah, old boy that's, was... But that's, like, new performances and fantastic sure. actors and, sure. like a truly visionary director putting his own stamp on the story. Yeah. And in the sense of, like, the J-horror stuff, like, The Grudge and The Ring, um, The Eye, whatever, like, all these movies, Dark Water, mm-hmm. you're talking about movies that most people wouldn't see normally. So I can even then, like, kind of understand. But when Old Boy was remade, I, I think that most people that would want to see Old Boy had seen Old Boy. And I don't think that... Like, Josh Brolin, like, if you're talking about, I don't know, like... Joseph Gordon, now that's not even a good example. Like, some star at that point, like, being in it. Like, maybe that brings people in Brad and introduces Pitt. it to him. Okay, yeah. that's fine. Yeah. Like, he's probably the appropriate age for that. Sure. But you're not, like, bringing people into the theater to like, no, see the people, No, the people that like Josh Brolin when that movie came out, what was it, 2013? I mean, yeah, which, is, which is even, like, after Brolin's comeback, yeah. honestly. The people, they liked him for No, no Country for Old Men. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 then those same people have already seen Old Boy. Yeah. So you're right. They're not drawing a new audience. So Old Boy also was. It was. It was. It was pretty late, successful. It was late enough here. after like the J horror like explosion of the late '90s and early 2000s, and it came out on DVD relatively soon after its like theatrical run in sure. Korea. Yeah. Um, Anyone like it was a it was a Best Buy you know it wasn't like yeah. difficult to you get could, right you could find I it mean when I was first watching stuff like Juan and, and Ringu and whatever you know I was ordering like bootleg VHS tapes from dudes right, on, like, on message boards yeah I remember that. and watching like grainy ass like fucking whatever transfers like laser just transfers and I remember there was a couple you got that didn't even have subtitles and yeah, we, right? we still watched like, them. Sitting there, <laughs> that ridiculous like octopus children's show Curry Curry Taco or whatever. <laughs> Like, I just watched that for the theme song. But, like, it was... They were major releases. Like, yeah. you could go into Walmart and buy Old Boy. So, sure. it wasn't like you weren't able to see it. And I think that anybody that had an interest in that stuff saw it. So, I just don't see the purpose of the remake. That was really off off topic. Yeah. But, um, <clears throat> what are the critical, like, complaints against it? Um, Gratuitous violence? Not, uh, well, that, that that came up, absolutely. Especially that scene towards the end um, was was mentioned quite often when they talked about the gratuitous violence, uh, one of the things we're just not talking about. But um, some people some people mentioned that it's unrealistic, which you've already addressed, sure. and the idea that it, it has just enough believability mm-hmm. to it that it could succeed. Um, and then others said that they thought the plot was convoluted. Well, I mean, what's what kind of complaint is that? That's that's a dumb complaint. Yeah, absurdly convoluted. Sorry, was the quote. It's not even absurdly. I mean, it, there's a point where the threads haven't come together yet, where I can see like maybe yeah. saying that it's absurdly. Convoluted. I think once you find it out, I think it makes a lot. Yeah, of, but then it it, makes like, sense. it's like all these strings, yeah. you know, to quote fucking Plan Nine, and then they're like pulled together, right? Like yeah. they pull the strings and it it's all. Glenn or Glenn, they get it right. Sorry. <laughs> They pulled the strings. Well, I'm talking about, um, or Ed Wood, I'm sorry, the 
Oh, 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 gotcha, yeah. They pull the strings, and then, like, everything is, like, one thread again. Like, you completely... The last 25 minutes of that movie, you completely understand every single motivation of every single character in that movie. And every single thing that happened before it makes complete sense. Agreed. And part of the thing is that it's going to be a little convoluted because there's embedded inside kind of, like, the action movie and the suspense movie... There's also a detective movie yeah. in this that's also going on where he's trying to figure out who kept yeah, him captured for 15 the, years. The brilliant, brilliant sequence of him going to the different dumpling restaurants right. and yeah. ordering a plate of dumplings because he knows the combination of scallions and pork so well that like when he finds it, right. like, he absolutely knows like which restaurant. Because he ate is. for the same, same thing for 15 years, yeah. so he can identify which one is the right dumpling. And it's. I don't know. It's it it's it's honestly it's four separate plot lines, like related plot lines, but also disparate plot lines that Park has to weave together into like one narrative, and does so in a way that's like completely natural. And when you when you first see the movie, is honestly like a revelation. I yeah. I think. I mean, yeah. I was no absolutely. This this out of out of five movies, this is my favorite movie on this list. I, is is this movie? I mean, it would certainly be my number one out of these five. Um, I I love this movie. I think it's, it's really good. Yeah, and I forgot how much I liked it. Like until gonna, I watched it again. I want to talk a little bit about like one of your complaints, like the the realism thing. Not your complaints. Oh yeah, but the, the complaints. Right, yeah, yeah, that it's unrealistic. Yeah. Park has a movie that he does like maybe six years after this, seven, five years, six years after this, called Thirst. Uh-huh. Which is a vampire movie. And, again, it's, like, a completely fantastical idea. The fact that, like, vampires exist in the real world. But the way that he films it... And it also has, um... Uh, the guy that plays Daisu, the... I can never remember his name. Yeah. Um... The way that he films it, it's, like, it's so fantastic. It, it's almost the opposite of this. Where, like... It's, like, 65% fantastical... And 35% realistic, but he, like, walks the line so fine that, like, you can believe the fantastical because there's enough realism. And I think this is the opposite, where it's, like, 65-35, you know, realism to fantasticalness. But because, like, he keeps it grounded so much in reality and a lot of the things that are happening, like, no one is superhuman in this movie. People are just, like, impeccably trained in, like, one specific thing. And I think that it's interesting because Daesu is, like roundly incompetent at a lot of things like after he gets freed from prison because he has no motor memory of like doing these things anymore but he can kick someone's ass and he can analyze things because all he's done is watch tv and work out for you know 15 years Mm -hmm. so i don't know yeah i i always think when, when i when i hear complaints about that i don't ever want to dismiss anyone's opinion outright but i think that it's people that maybe this just isn't their cup of tea yeah which is fine because you don't have to enjoy every movie or maybe it's just that like because they see violence or because of like some of the like thematic elements in this movie that we haven't talked about like on purpose that maybe they're just uncomfortable and they just write it off it's like um when you talk about the like leonard malton um uh, Roger Ebert reactions to Alien when they yeah. were like so dismissive of Alien right away but it's because Alien was so effective that they weren't able to fully like embrace it because they were personally 
affected by it. And I think it may be the same way here. That's a good segue because the last thing I wanted to do here was just read you something that Roger Ebert wrote in 2003 when this came out, which in that context of the way he reacted to some of those older movies, this is what he writes. He gives the movies four stars. And this is what he writes. He says, In its sexuality and violence, this is the kind of movie that can no longer easily be made in the United States. The standards of a puritanical minority imposed on broadcasting and threatened even for cable make studios unwilling to produce movies that might face uncertain distribution. But content does not make a movie good or bad. It is merely what it is about. Old Boy is a powerful film not because of what it depicts, but because of the depths of the human heart which it strips bare. And it's yeah. like, isn't that a guy who's certainly changed his tune sure. in, you know, 20, you know, 30 years? Of... I, think, I, I think it lends credence to what we talk about all the time when we're talking about films from, like, especially the 60s and 70s and early 80s that have, like, pretty controversial, like, themes at their core that people just aren't willing, because it's, because it's not easy to digest or because it's not comfortable to watch that they automatically dismiss it out of hand yeah. as being trash. But, I mean... Right. Like life isn't easy to digest sure. sometimes, sure. so it's and he was certainly throwing shade there to like that whole thing that was going on during the Bush era, oh, where yeah. groups were trying to get things banned all the time. Well, since I mean, the the like the moral majority, the religious right, or whatever, right, like sure, the yeah. early eighties, like yeah. Phyllis Shafley, whatever, sure, sure, or Tipper Gorey. I mean, there's always yeah. been people that right. have been yeah. opposed to the idea of like seeing something that might, yeah, make Maybe. you realize that people have like vaginas or penises or like the people get hurt sometimes right right right. okay let's go ahead and move on to the third movie on your list the third movie on your list is fritz lang's uh classic m in 1931 the audience score from rotten tomatoes 95 percent the critical score of this movie is 100 percent and that's with 51 critics yeah um which is Amazing! It's, it's the first time I've seen something 100 yeah. with that high, with so far with that many critics um, reviewing it. So, do you want to go ahead and explain this movie and talk about it a little bit? So, I mean, it's it's a pretty simple story at its core. I mean, it's it's an examination of um, Hans Becker, who's a child murderer in Berlin, I guess, right, somewhere in Germany, or no, uh, Bremen, maybe, or something. I can't remember. Um, he, the film opens with like a woman waiting for a child to come home. There's some visual indicators that there's like a child murderer, like on the loose. Um, Elsie Becker, uh, who's like the girl in the beginning gets followed by a man who's whistling Hall of the Mountain King, which is one of the most effective like uses of absolutely like ambient music, I guess, in a movie, just him whistling that tune. Um, she takes a, or he buys a balloon for her from like this blind street vendor who that comes into play later. Um, he murders her. Like it's implied that he murders her, I guess. I don't think you never really, he talks to her and then it cuts back to the dinner scene. He's killing the kids. The balloon is like floating up. Well, I mean, it's not like he's killing the kids, but like lying can't show like child murder in yeah. 1931 or whatever. Right. I'm just saying that, like, the scene, like, cuts back to, like, the balloon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, like, you know that, like, she's dead. Yeah. Um, the police, like, start to crack down. Uh, he sends, what, like, an anonymous note saying that, like, he's killed these kids. Yes. Um, so then it, it kind of splits at that point and becomes two separate, like, procedural movies mm-hmm. of the police trying to catch Beckert and the criminal underworld trying to catch Beckert. 
because the criminals are upset because of the increased police presence. They can't like do their thing. And the police are obviously just trying to catch a serial killer. <clears throat> so then, you know, the movie becomes like the police like investigating and finding out that it is Becker that's done it. Like, you know, they go into his house and what they find like trophies, I guess, or whatever, like clothing from one of the kids. Um, the criminals also catch him because the street vendor like hears him whistling and realizes it's the same guy. Um, there's the famous scene. The reason that the movie's called M is because um, one of the pickpockets like takes a piece of chalk and like chalks M on his back so he can be tracked. Um, he's basically taken, captured. Um, one of the most tense scenes I think, like in all of at least early cinema, maybe all of cinema, of like him being like pursued through the sh the city streets at night eventually captured he's taken in front of a kangaroo court that's presided over by murderers and criminals um and gives a pretty impassioned and sort of reasonable defense to himself that like yeah all of those people have choices to be criminals like they can right. choose to do something else but they choose to make their living off of the like you know, off of their fellow man. Right. Whereas he can't help himself. Like he doesn't want to kill people, but it's like, it's in him and he can't like control himself. And it really is like a pretty, I mean, this movie is, you know, like post Nazi Germany when it's, it's yeah. made in 1931, right? 1931. Yeah. Um, no, so it's, uh, it's, but it's pre, <laughs> that's what I'm sorry. I said post, I mean yeah, pre, yeah. like far pre, but still in a sense of like, like, a really, really harsh examination of like human compulsion and like what is it that makes someone like evil, really, right? Like, is Hans Becker necessarily the things he does are evil, but is he evil? Whereas the criminals who are holding him on trial, and the only reason they're holding him on trial is so they can murder him. I mean, they're just like giving themselves. Right. Kind of and alarm. so that they can go back to committing their crimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. They, they want to kill right. him yeah. because if they remove the threat of the right. child killer, um, because they'll argue, you know, their argument is that they're only killing people that need to be, like the people that are murderers are only right. killing people that need to be killed. They're not killing children. Right. And he's like the monster. But, you know, again, like are his acts evil or is he like truly evil? And his argument is it's compulsion. Right. Um, but eventually, you know, he's whatever, like, captured by the police, like, they come in and arrest them, and, yeah. um, visually, I mean, I'm a sucker for black and white movies anyway, like, I love <clears throat> the juxtaposition of, like, shadow and light, mm -hmm. um, I think Fritz Lang is one of the most masterful filmmakers in terms of, like, early cinema, in the way that he uses shadow, and the way that he uses, like, the silhouette of Becker, like, early on, like, where you see, like, you know, it's the, the fedora and the overcoat, and he's, like, a shadow on the wall. It's almost like, almost like the Big Bad Wolf, kind of, in, like, the early, um, uh, whatever, the Lo Looney, not, not Looney Tunes, like, the Mary Melody right. cartoons or whatever. Um, it's very menacing, you know, him stalking the child is very tense, um, a really good parallel to that then later in the movie when he becomes the hunted like when he's the prey as to him being like harshly like he's not a silhouette anymore you know he's like bathed in light and he's just this Peter Lorre plays this character um Becker this pop-eyed chubby sweaty you know what I mean like mm -hmm. just like lowly like worm of a person 
who's this menacing, cowering figure to this child, but then is like this small, like insignificant thing to these yeah. criminals. And it's this really fantastic juxtaposition, like in terms of the way that, that Lang films it. And again, just to, to my point about all of these movies is that, you know, I don't, I, I speak Spanish. Um, I don't speak any other foreign languages. So I'm always watching these movies in a sense of I'm reading a dialogue. Like I'm not like hearing the language in the original language, but when you like the way that Lang like scripts it and the way that it's presented, it's just such a, such a compelling argument of, you know, like thought versus compulsion or nature versus like choice, I guess, or I don't know. It's, it's really, it's, like he's his acts are terrible, but he almost comes off as sympathetic at certain points because you really feel like, even though he's taunting the police and he's murdering these children, I mean, maybe that's his thing. Like maybe he's not supposed to be sympathetic. Like maybe I'm kind of falling into a trap there. That oh, I I don't know if he's supposed to be sympathetic, but I certainly think that Lang is certainly asking the, the the question that the murder is the child murderer is asking at the end that the Laurie character is asking is certainly a question that Lang is presenting. Yeah. So in that case, there is some some sympathy to put those words in his mouth. Is what do you do when it's a compulsion? Like, what do you do with people when they can't help themselves from committing a certain type of crime? Um, which I think is still probably one of the more um, unanswerable philosophical questions that we still deal with to this day, probably. So, um, yeah. And also, I think yeah. there's some, some sympathy, but I don't think he's sympathizing with a child murder. I think also, he's yeah, the sympathizing idea, with compulsion. The idea that, I mean, um, Lori, like the Becker character says at one point, like who, who among you or who of you knows what it's like to be me? You know right. what I mean? And like, I think that's a pretty, yeah. a pretty compelling argument. Like, I think when you're dealing with nationalism, too, which they're certainly starting to deal with a little bit at this time, um, because Ebert brings up um, the scene early on in the film where they think it's the the child murderer. There's a guy on the street that's trying to help a a child that's lost. And the mob, there's basically a a mob of citizens forms and starts attacking him. And um, uh, Ebert wonders how that got past the censors. At the time, like, because it's obviously making a statement on mob mentality. Yeah. Um, I, I, I wondered something similar when I was rewatching in the sense of, um, you know, the, the argument about compulsion is some people are who they are and you can't change who they are. And that's not just child murders. That goes for a lot of things in life. Um, you know, uh, things that somehow we still in 2018 debate. Um, you just were telling me yesterday about having this conversation with someone, but about like, you know, things like sexuality, you know, things that we can't, things that we can't change about ourselves, like, you know, like race, you know? Um, and I wonder if that's what not also what Lang's doing a little bit by asking that question is here's a group of thugs who are doing what they do. And, condemning the people that can't change who they are and basically holding these kangaroo courts so yeah. they can convict them. And I really wonder, I mean, I would, I, I think, and I don't know the history behind this movie, I, and I'm not an expert on the history of Germany, but it seems to me like there's something there in terms of a criticizing of, of, of nationalistic society. Um, <clears throat> so, um, 
I mean, I think another really important like question that the movie asks is like towards the end, where um, one of the mothers says like, "What can be done that'll bring the or like nothing will bring the children back?" I can't remember the exact quote, <clears throat> but just generally like nothing that happens in those court proceedings, you know, because after like Lori is like saved from the the criminals and eventually put on like a real trial or um, Becker whatever, <clears throat> and she says like you know, nothing that happens here is going to bring our children back to life. And we have to keep a better eye on our children, like all of us or all of you or whatever, however she says it. And I think that's an interesting point, too, is like, I mean, obviously it's been not not maybe so much in recent years, but it was a pretty like hot topic for a long time in terms of like the death penalty. Like, mm-hmm. what does capital punishment actually right. accomplish? You know, what are you actually doing by like murdering a murderer, basically? Mm-hmm. And I guess like his social statement there is that you're not like accomplishing anything by doing it sure like doing it through that character right. um yeah i don't know i i this is just me like talking out my ass yeah. but i'm pretty sure that that the the nazi party like hitler or goebbels maybe in particular was like a really big fan of lang and wanted him to like make films for them and that's why he fled that's why he fled yeah they Nazi wanted to German. make him like the director resident yeah. director or something like that something along those lines like of the country and yeah that's when lang fled and there's some debate about that like in terms of like why he actually fled but that's certainly a common story is that's why he he fled the country i mean brilliant like one of the most brilliant early yeah. directors sure and the use of sound of this yeah. is for, for such an early movie with sound um it's it's incredible i mean it it's is. one of the best uses of early sound like you said the hall of the mountain king yeah it's ambient sound yeah i would say yeah like footfalls yeah the the whistling mm-hmm. just the general noise of like the city yeah. street and right. like the juxtaposition of the busy city street and then the quiet of like mm-hmm. the empty city streets. sure um beautifully shot like incredible like visuals in this movie yeah definitely watch this in like a remastered version yeah yeah if, the, can. if, if you can get the criterion version i don't know yeah. where that's available right. but if you can see the criterion version it is a beautiful restoration of the print um my only my only criticism of this movie i don't know if this is really a criticism is i kind of feel it's maybe just a little too long like, I don't know what you cut out of it, but... There's I, some some of the procedural elements go on a little too long. I, I always feel like maybe if the film was, like, 15 minutes shorter, mm-hmm. that I would enjoy it a little more. I agree. Um, it's, it's difficult, and I've, I've probably seen it two or three times, maybe four times. Um, it's difficult to sit down and just watch, like, in one sitting to me. Yeah. Because it does feel, like, kind of slow at certain points. Yeah, I think there's three movies, like, three pieces to the movie. There is. And, uh, which I think you kind of described earlier, but it's like, I think there's a distinct three pieces and I think it's that middle section. It is. The, the, the dual procedural that you yes. talked about. I think that's the section you cut down. But like the opening segment is incredibly compelling mm-hmm. and the chase sequence, like the entire time when the criminals are after him, yeah. incredibly compelling. And then the end towards the end, like the mock trial, the falling, like, yeah. whatever the, um, climax of the falling action. Yeah like with the mock trial is like really compelling. And then there's just other elements in it where it's just kind of, it, it feels like a movie from the 1930s. Like, I don't know if that makes any sense, Mm -hmm. but like, I, I feel like, I feel like film had not evolved to the point yet where directors understood the difference between stage production and what you could do in film. And I think that Lang is one of the first directors 
that really kind of grasps, like to me that I'm like familiar with, that kind of grasps like the potential of like movies yeah. and how you're portraying it. But I think there are still elements that feel like you're kind of just like in an audience watching someone on the stage. I think, actually, I think the chase sequence shows that that's probably true. Yeah. And again, I'm not, certainly not an expert on like 19 teens, 1920s film, but I mean, I, I think certainly with this being 31 it has to be a really early example of a really well done chase this is the complete side note but sort of what we're talking about we were talking about um lionel barrymore the other night for whatever reason Mm -hmm. and like lionel barrymore made hundreds of films between like the 1910s and like the 1930s and i think like i've seen probably 60 films from 1900 to, like, 1930, and to mm-hmm. think that, like, that man was probably in, like, three times that many just by himself. Right. Like, yeah. this is one of the reasons, like, you always, we, we, we talk all the time about, like, why I love movies, yeah. <clears throat> like, above, like, all other art forms, really, and I think that's the reason, is that there's, there's always going to be something that you've never seen, yeah. and even if it's garbage, yeah. like, it still is something new. And I don't know, like, I, it's, it's fascinating to me that, like, I can still find movies in my 40s that were made 50, 60, almost like 100 years ago at this point that are still, like, captivating or, like, compelling to me. Like, yeah. I, I love that. And I think, I think in part, that's what happened to me, and then we'll move on. I, I, think, uh, I think that's what happened to me when I stopped watching movies for a while, is that everything that was the future, that was the present or the future didn't interest me yeah and it was it's a lot of work to go back though like to, to find like you know oh like you know well i like this guy and i've seen all his movies like what inspired him yeah and if you don't have you know i mean you and i could talk about it and i could talk to you or do research and look it up but it's still exhausting to go back sometimes and i think i just i think i did it for so long like going back and trying to find different you know novelists or you know other filmmakers that influence people that i think i did that for so long it just kind of exhausted me and i mean since we've started doing this again like i've obviously been watching more and you know and watching things that i don't even need to watch sometimes even um i mean to me like like one of the things and we we talked about this in our introduction thing whatever however long ago that was one of the things that got me into film in the first place was the thrill of like the hunt and the thrill of like researching and like, oh, well, I don't know, like, Scorsese was influenced by Godard. Right. And, oh, let me look at Jean-Luc Godard. Sure. And like, oh, man, like, he was influenced by, I don't know, like, Jean Roland. And like, no, that's not right. That, that guy's, that's <laughs> yeah. crazy. Like, that, yeah, yeah. Um, he was influenced by whatever, some other guy. And then, like, just going back and looking at these people that, like, were influenced by and influenced other people. Yeah. I, I, I think that streaming services are both, like, incredibly useful in this capacity and also, like, really harmful. Yeah. Um, Because there's so little actual film content that's available streaming, even though, like, you can go on Netflix and spend, like, hours, like, looking through. Yeah. Like, it's such a small percentage of their catalog that's actual, like, you know, production movies that Mm -hmm. isn't their own, like, internal productions or television shows. Yeah. And Prime is kind of the same. I mean... Like, full disclosure, I subscribe to a ridiculous amount of, like, mm-hmm. streaming. Like, I subscribe to Hulu and Netflix and Amazon. But, I mean, as long as you have the money to rent things, though, there's everything's A lot True, of things are available. But then, where, how are you finding it? You know what I mean? Like, sure. you still have to find this. Yes, agree. Agree. I honestly, like, there's always things that come up. Like, I watched this movie called Raw Power the other day. Mm-hmm. 
terrible, terrible fucking movie. But a lot of fun, like, and I really enjoyed it. And I had no idea that movie existed until it just happened to pop up on my, like, shutters. The, gr- the greatness of streaming is the availability aspect of things. The, the, the downfall of it is the fact, just like targeted ads, is, is like, is yeah. that you get this limited scope based on, like, what you've watched and what others liked that you've watched and whatever that algorithm is that, you know, ends up, like, choosing what shows, is shown yeah, to apparently you. Apparently that Chinese, like, spy technology <laughs> in all of our phones. Now. Right, yeah, sure, yeah. Um, <laughs> Bloomberg, Bloomberg trying to ruin my life today. <laughs> so, um... <clears throat> So, yeah, I mean, I think that's the weakness of it is that you're only given the small... It's like there's things on Netflix that I've never been shown, like movies that I really like, and I've never known that they're there. I have to go searching for them because, yeah. you know, because my wife watched this one thing. It's and then like, it popped, happened to pop up. Oh, no, 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 because she watched this. Like, now I just get shown oh, these things yeah, I would yeah. have no interest in. That was like I was I, watching... A, like, you and I both were kind of into Bollywood movies for a while. Yeah. And so forever, like, all yeah. I was getting was, like, Bollywood recommendations. Right. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> all my Netflix. Oh, movies. yeah, that's... A, she watched some Bollywood movie, like, a year ago, and um, then suddenly it's just, like, they're everywhere. All that's over. the beauty of being able to, like, separate your Netflix account into multiple accounts. It so is. So yeah. just make her sign into something else. Right, yeah. She can watch her um, Star Trek on her own time. Sure. But, I mean, even then, if, like, I watch an episode of, like, you know... Whatever it is, some TV show, it's going to start giving me wildly yeah, different right. recommendations, and it's like, That's true. and and they're not very good about browsing. Like, so to bring it back to M, yeah, um, the the number one movie on this list that can be considered like a true classic of modern cinema, and I think that or of cinema in general, obviously not modern. Yeah, um, I think that hundred percent like speaks to that. Um, again, my only critique is it is a little like slow at points, but visually thematically in terms of the acting the direction like everything about this movie is i don't know like amazing and just eminently watchable i think appealing to probably the widest like swath of people um of any of the movies on this list like this would appeal to the most people and be watchable by the most people i agree also the only movie out of all these five that you could watch on like Turner Classic Movies and mm-hmm. not have it edited at all. So sure. maybe that's a recommendation in some yeah. ways. Okay. Um, last thing I'll add real quick. Dave Kerr, did he like this movie or not? Oh, man. How could you not? He had to. Yes. Yeah. He did like this movie in the most ostentatious way possible. Um, he said that um, the moral issues are complex and definitely handled. Lori is at once entirely innocent and absolutely evil. Lang's detached, modified, expressionist style gives the action a plastic beauty. The geometry of the images is reflected in the geometry of the plot as every piece of the film clicks together on its way to the inevitable climax. Two lines meet and Laurie is at the center. How is... Dave Kerr is a dummy. How is the climax inevitable? I mean, it's inevitable that there is a climax to anything, right? Like, any film inevitably has a climax. But, like, the... If, if he's saying that the end result of this movie is inevitable from the beginning, like, is it? Right, because he could get away. It's it's in question. And who's going to get him? Right, it, it's know? in question up until, like... There's three options. Yeah, that he... Somebody, one of the two... Well, he dies, he's captured. Right. He's... Four. Escapes. Yeah. Whatever. I mean, there's so many things. Yeah. Like, you don't know what's going to happen to Hans Beckert until right. the last, like, five minutes of this movie. Dave, 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 Dave Kerr, making me stutter. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. 
It's a poor adjective choice Tell there. He's a poor adjective. <laughs> okay. Um, let's move on to the second movie. Okay. Number two is I Saw the Devil from 2011, directed by Ji-Woon Kim. Rotten Tomatoes critics reviews have it at 80%. Audience reviews have it at 87%. Do you want to go ahead and give us a short synopsis and your initial thoughts? So it's about... Um, it's actually the same guy that plays uh, Odesu. Uh, so Choi Min-sik um, plays a serial killer, uh, Kyung Chul, uh, who preys upon women. Um, murders a young woman that's broken down on the side of the road. Um, turns out that she's the fiance of a detective in the Seoul, Seoul I guess, Korea, mm-hmm. like police force, um, who vows vengeance. Her father is also like the chief of police, who, even though he's not supposed to, provides uh, the husband. Uh, Su Su Hyun with a list of like the four possible like suspects. Um, Su Hyun like tracks all four and then finds out that it's um, Kyung Chul like through like going through his stuff he finds like mementos he's taken from other victims <clears throat> including his fiance's engagement ring um, tracks him and like beats him and implants a tracking device in him that allows him to like follow him on GPS and listen to, like, his conversations, um, and then proceeds to, like, track him through, like, a variety of things, a lot of situations. Um, Kim Chul is sadistic, um, but Su, Su Hyun, like, also becomes, like, sadistic in his, like, treatment. Um, it eventually leads to, like, there's a series of events, and we'll talk about some of that stuff, um, escalating, like, craziness, basically. Um, but eventually leads to Su Hyun, like, capturing Kyung Chul and sort of putting him in a position where he's the victim, um, ending his life and sort of asks the question throughout the movie of, like, at what point do you stop being, like, righteous and start being just as terrible as the person that committed the crime in the first place? Um paints a pretty bleak picture of Korea as full of, like, cannibals and serial killers, I guess. Like, there's just murderers all over the place. Um, there's a scene after uh, Kyung Chul has the tracking device in him where he's picked up by two guys in a taxi cab who he, like, sort of quickly determines have, like, nefarious intents on him. Like, they're going to, like, kill him. And ends up killing both of them, like, in the car in what's actually, like, a pretty brutal scene. <clears throat> Turns out that they did have, like, the original cab driver in the trunk. Uh, he disposes of all three bodies. Um, there's some pretty, like, maybe my favorite sequence in the movie. He goes to the house of, like, a, a friend, I guess, quote-unquote friend of his, who's a cannibal, who's living with his wife and has this family, like, captured and tied up. And he's, like, cutting pieces off of them and eating them. Um, and Su Hyun, like, tracks him there and ends up, like, basically murdering the cannibal and the woman, um, in the way that, that old boy kind of skirts that line where it's, like, mostly grounded in reality with fantastical elements. This movie has, like, a very thin line of reality and then is almost all just, like, fantastical. I mean... 
the level of like endurance that Kim Chul like exhibits in his ability to like sustain like incredibly serious injury at the hands of Su Hyun and still like maintain the ability to like continue on. And I mean, he gets his Achilles cut, he gets like beaten. And there's so many things that happen to him in this movie to the point where, where in things like Old Boy and M, where you're kind of made to feel sort of sympathetic towards the antagonist just because of the way it's portrayed. Even though these terrible things are happening to um, Kyung Chul, <clears throat> you never feel sympathetic because he's always more terrible than the things that are happening to him. Um, I mean, he's a rapist, he's a murderer, he's a serial abuser of women. It, it's certainly a guy that doesn't learn his lesson. It's like at some point you would think after all the terrible things that Su Young does to him, maybe somehow he would change and actually he just becomes worse. Yeah, I mean, he like... He realizes at one point that he there that um, he's being tracked and basically like robs a um, pharmacy and induces like violent diarrhea in himself to get rid of the tracking device um, and goes and ends up like like in full like spoiler warning like murdering um, uh, Su Hyun's potential sister in law like the sister yeah. of his fiance. Right. Um, which is actually like one of the more tragic things in it because mm -hmm. she's a very sympathetic character who's firmly on the side of Su Young <clears throat> and ends up killing her. She's also the moral voice of the film too. She's the one that actually tells him um, the whole thing about like you can't like track yeah. a monster without becoming a monster. Sure, mm -hmm. which is really the central theme of the movie, sure. and it's it's the whole the, the idea of like I saw the devil, mm -hmm. which is a direct relation to a biblical quote. Like I'm not exactly like certain what that quote is, but I know that. That's what it is. Um, really, like, it's like, you know, you you can't shake the devil's hand and, like, say that it's just, like, you know, like a joke or whatever. Like, if you, like, if you stare into the abyss for too long, do you not become the abyss or whatever right, yeah, that, yeah. that quote is? Um, not really a convoluted plot, but a lot of things happen in this movie. Like, there's a lot of... It's more just, like, a series of interconnected scenes. I mean, even though, like, there is, like, consistent narrative. Like, it's just, like, increasing, like, escalating scenes of, like, brutality. Both on the part of, like, Kyung Chul, like, assaulting other people and Soo Hyun, like, basically then, like, revisiting that violence on him. Like, almost immediately. Like, there's... After he escapes from the two thugs that are trying to kill him in the car, um, he goes to a... Um, like a, I don't know, like a medical clinic, like a roadside medical clinic or whatever, <clears throat> and attempts to sexually assault, like, the nurse that's there, and is immediately, like, caught before he's able to, and Su-hyun, like, like, beats him and cuts his Achilles tendon. Um, so it's, it's like... still a really uncomfortable scene of her making her undress and... Oh, before, yeah, 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 yeah. Before he's called. He's... It, it's funny, and I... I, I love this actor so much because he's got such such a unsettlingly easy way of switching between kind of like a befuddled, almost like fumbling, like lovable character and just an absolute monster with just the switch of like a facial expression mm -hmm. or a tone of voice. Mm -hmm. And again, like I, I think when you're watching a movie that's not in your native language, like sometimes it's difficult to necessarily truly gauge inflection because mm -hmm. like 
you're reading what's being said more than you're actually like hearing like the change in dialogue or the change but like you can you can hear it like in the way he modulates his voice and the way that he <coughs> can go from being almost like amiable and like garrulous to being like absolutely cold and demanding and like the smile that immediately turns into a frown and it's like as a performance you know as a villain it, it's maybe the best like true villain in any of these films like where he is obviously just a monster right and when when he gets his when when Su Hyun like finally gets his actual like vengeance at the end of this movie um, basically setting him up to be murdered in front of his family to sort of not only kill, you know, Kyung Chul, but also to, like, kind of, like, revisit the pain that Kyung Chul caused on other people's families to his own family, which is, like, really, like, a really monstrous, like, vengeance because it's not just on the perpetrator of the vengeance, but the innocents that are kind of involved in it. Right. And even though, like, you know, he's, like, Kyung Chul has, like, a young son... And a mother and father who take care of the son. And they're obviously not... Like, they don't know that he's a murderer, but they know that he's a criminal. Right. And even though they're not fully supportive of him, they still love him. And they don't know the true, like, extent of his, like, monstrosity. So, to have these three, like, innocents, especially, like, a, a, a like preteen slash teen boy, like, witness the death of his father. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a... It's an incredibly, I, I think, I think in a less, with a less talented director or with a less well done movie, I think it would be almost like too gratuitous. And I think it would like sort of veer into that realm of things I don't like, which is like just violence for violence sake um, or torture for whatever. But I think it's done well enough where you really have to question like, was his vengeance worth it? Like, would it have been better off? Because the police, the police were on to all four of these criminals in the beginning, with Kyung Chul being like one of their main suspects. So you kind of have to assume all things like playing out differently. If he just would have left it in the police's hands, it would have caught this guy eventually. Mm-hmm. And he would have been punished for his crimes. And his wife would have gotten her, you know, justice, or his fiance would have gotten justice. So, is it worth him becoming an absolute monster? Like, he's a, you know, decorated police officer that then becomes, like, basically a killer in his own right. And he kills multiple people in this movie. And he kills three people. Um, So, is it worth him, like, basically becoming the thing that he's, you know, trying to destroy? So, I don't know. Um... Let me come back at you on that is one one of the criticisms um Liam Lacey from the Globe and Mail in Britain says that he says that the philosophical point of this movie is obvious and repeated too often. Um the idea that you can't become you can't track a monster without becoming a monster. <clears throat> um he kind of mirrors that repetition with he says what is uh a movie that's too long and too repetitious in terms of the um, the acts in the film to the point that they become pornographic in the dullest sense. Each episode of Catch and Release allows for new kinds of bodily harm to come to the cop and killer who are engaged in what begins to feel like a purgatorial reality game show. Um, 
so I think there's a number of things you've kind of hinted at already, but he's criticizing, which is that um, there is like that the the catch and release aspect he's saying is too repetitious, and that it is maybe too fantastic in some ways that it just becomes this kind of like reality show type thing. So it's like some of the things you've acknowledged he's actually yeah. using as criticisms. <clears throat> my my criticism of this film is it is probably too long. Mm-hmm. And then maybe it has one too many of those scenes too much in it. <clears throat> I don't know what you take out. Sure. Because I really do feel like... I really do feel like all of those... I feel like every scene has merit. <clears throat> but it... He's he's right. But at the same time, I disagree that... I disagree that it becomes pornographic. Like, I think that... I think that it builds enough where... You realize that Kim Chul, for being a monster, isn't doesn't lack intelligence. Like he does have a very like deep seated animalistic intelligence to him, where he does he plays off the idea that people feel like he's like unassuming and bumbling in order to gain leverage and like ultimately like commit harm against him. And I. Again, like, I, I think you can trim 15, 20 minutes off this movie, and it's probably a better movie. Mm-hmm. And I think you can say that about a lot of films sure. in general. Like, maybe they're a little too overindulgent. Yeah. <clears throat> and there are some, there are some, like, liberties in this movie that are taken, like, some conceits or whatever from the director, where it is maybe a little overwrought at times, you know. And, I mean, I think that's true for a lot of movies. Like, I think yeah. that maybe it does try and hammer on its point, like, a little too much. But I don't think that invalidates the point. Um, I, I, I think the performances and I think the direction are both strong enough where even though maybe you could cut it down, like it still has like a great deal of merit. Like, and honestly, one of the most effective movies in terms of like, like the negative consequence of like harming another person, basically. Yeah. I, I, I was going to say that final point that that would be my probably defense from that criticism would be that the 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 pacing of the scenes themselves and the directorial choices and how well things are actually shot make it even if it is too long doesn't make those scenes in isolation seem too long so it's hard to find what to cut out sure and because it is a very well and even the critics like the people that are critical of it acknowledge that it's very well filmed I mean, there's honestly some really beautiful stuff in this mm-hmm. movie. Like, the, the scene where uh, Soo Hyun is, like, descending towards the house that the cannibal guy lives in. Like, the way that it's shot, it's in the dark. There's, like, the the furnace that the guy has outside where he's, like, burning the clothes of his victims. And, like, just the way that it's almost like descending into hell. And the way that the inside of that house is shot. It's, Including it's the of, dogs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, the barking dogs right, yeah. and... There's just, like, inside the house, like, it's all, like, deep, like, rich wood paneling, and it it just, it it feels, like, hellish, and I don't know, like, again, like, I've watched, I don't know, thousands of horror movies in my life, and, like, I can tell you when something is just being, like, gratuitous for, like, just for the sake of gratuity or whatever, but, like, I don't ever feel like necessarily this is that way, like, I feel like there's consequence to everything that happens both on the part of you know Kyung Chul like 
having those consequences physically revisited upon him by Su Hyun, and also the consequence of Su Hyun like becoming less human in his like inaction of these acts upon this monster. You know? and that and that scene you're talking about is a really well done action sequence, ten, tense, suspenseful action mm-hmm. sequence as well. I mean, it's one of the better. I think it's one of the better ones. That and the uh, the nurse are the ones that stand out in my mind yeah. uh, as two really good scenes. But I, yeah, I, I agree with the repetitiousness of it, but I don't agree with the pornographic idea yeah. of it. I've seen far worse. I mean, it's, I, it, it's very similar to like the way John Woo films action. Without the conceit of like the slow motion, sure, and like the overly like flowery, like artistic nature of like showing violence is like a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Like violence is never a beautiful thing in this movie, but it's a well choreographed thing, and it's definitely like, like you said, like there's there's palpable tension to the, all of these scenes, yeah. <clears throat> and even even on subsequent viewings, and I've watched this movie three times now, I think. Um, Subsequent viewings, like, you do, even when you know what's coming, you still feel tense. Mm -hmm. Like, you still feel a measure of... I'm not sure. I've only watched it once, but... Like, uncertainty about what's going to happen. I saw it, like, pretty... I mean, I own it on DVD, and I I saw it, like, when it came out. And then I watched it again a couple years later, and then I watched it again, you know, for this podcast. And I still, like, even though I know exactly what's going to happen in the movie, I do still feel like some dread at what's coming or like some uncertainty at like and I think that's the mark of like a truly great suspense film is even if you know what the end result is do you still feel like that nervousness that the main character is not going to succeed or that the bad guy's going to get away you know what I mean and sure. like like I think this movie does that really well and I honestly like I give all the credit in the world um to Choi Choi Min Sik um, who one of my favorite like modern actors and I've only seen him in a few things like but I just like I, I love the way that he's able to convey so much with like just a shift in posture yeah. or a change of expression or and he has really good facial control. yeah like he can harden his eyes like so visibly where he goes from having like these wet like empathetic like eyes to having like completely cold yeah I don't know just he's no, I agree. Really fantastic. Yeah. And especially in this movie. Like, this is even more so than Old Boy, like, my, my favorite movie of his. Yeah. There, there's one other piece of criticism from Wesley Morris at the Boston Globe that I just want to bring up. Uh, he says that Kim's uh, final sequence in this movie ends with the schlock uh, thunderclap that could be based on one of the torture contraptions in a Saw movie or any of uh, Chen Wu Park's three vengeance films it must be said however that no saw movie has ever had a director half as good as kim or lighting scarcely as bright but kim isn't as fanciful a doomsayer as park kim is merely looking for provocation he's annoying that way trying a little bit of everything as a dare hoping he finds something to appall and entertain you in the same movie if not the same shot i don't trust him mostly because he doesn't appear to trust himself that's too like, abstract of a criticism to me. I don't... <clears throat> I don't know that I can necessarily... What about the, just the, the claim that he's looking more to provocate than to... 
actually have a real. I, I don't. I don't agree with that. I mean, I, I think maybe it gets away from him a little bit, and that that end scene is definitely like more over the top than anything else in the movie. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's so it, it's really contrived, mm-hmm. but I think it's contrived because Soo Hyun like is unwilling to let this guy get away. Yeah. Like Kim Chul has like gotten away so many times. Like that's the thing is that every time he does, it's. It's escalating violence because the violence that is committed against Kyung Chul is never enough to stop him. It's never enough to, to your point early, like, to get him to realize that, like, if I stop doing these bad things, then these bad things will stop being done to me. And this is just, again, I think maybe it gets away from him a little bit, like, the director, because it's escalated so much and he, like, you know, it has to come to an end. But I think that's kind of indicative of the theme of the movie. That, like, the violence just keeps escalating. Like, it never ends. And, like, he has to kill... And he kills him in such, like, a... Like, final and, I don't know, overt way. Like, especially in front of his family. That that's the only way that he can be sure that it's going to stop. Right. So, I don't know. I mean... I guess, like, in some ways, I sort of agree with that criticism, but I don't think that... I don't know. I, I don't think it's meant to, like, provocate or titillate in a way that's... I, I think comparing it to the Saw movies is a really uninformed... I don't know, like... It doesn't really gauge the depth of the question... That the film poses, right? Like the Saw movies don't necessarily pose any kind of questions. The Saw movies they are, try to. The Saw movies are pretending to be more than what they are, whereas this movie actually is about something. It just kind of he mentions earlier in the review about the Saw movies that um, it's an American horror franchise that's so rigged with bogus righteousness that it's borderline televangelical. Um, in nature, so he, he's it's certainly a negative that he's talking about when I think when he compares it to the Saw to some degree. The Saw movies are an immature look at a serious question, which is, and okay, so from that perspective, the Saw franchise in this movie asks the same questions, which is at its core, what is the consequence to action, right? Like, what are your what's the consequence to doing harm to someone else or to doing wrong, basically. But the Saw movies are like a 15-year-old's answer to that question, right? Whereas, like, this movie is... 15-year-old's filmmaking, too, I would think. Yeah, I mean, honestly. Like, they're very, like, basic, very, I don't know, whatever. Like, I don't don't like any of the Saw movies. But this is a mature look at that question that just maybe has some flaws to it, you know? But, I mean, like, very few movies could be considered perfect. Sure. I think that makes perfect sense. So, I don't know. Like, I, I... While I can see, like, the comparison between Saw and this, it's like comparing... I don't know. Like, Applebee's steak to, like, Ruth Chris steak, right? Like, they're both meat, but, you know, one of them is, like, on the two-for-20 menu, and one of them, like, actually is, like, worth eating. So, I don't know. Sure. <laughs> Uh, well, if, if this ever blows up, Applebee's is never going to be a sponsor now. I would never accept Applebee's <laughs> as a sponsor. I mean, I would rather eat at a soup kitchen. Okay, let's move on to number one. Um, your number one movie on the list is 
uh, Vengeance is Mine, 1979 Japanese film by Shoei Imamura. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes it only has 10 reviews, but it's 100%. Um, on Rotten Tomatoes from critics and 89% from an audience. Did you want to go ahead and explain this movie a little bit? Um, so it's mostly... I mean, it's the story of like the capture of a serial killer. Um, Enokizu <clears throat> told in a series of flashbacks through like his youth, his childhood, um, his adult life, his relationships... Basically, like, all the people that he's wronged or murdered. Um, he is a sociopath and a psychopath in, like, the truest sense of the word. Like, he's a character... <clears throat> he's a pretty complex character in the sense that this is this is the only movie on this list. And Old Boy sort of does this a little bit, but not as much. But this is the only movie where you're given... Like, this is truly a character study of someone who's committed terrible acts against people and is showing you what led to him becoming the person he is without trying to explain it or justify it or glamorize it at all. Um, Ken Ogata plays uh, Enokizu <clears throat> and it's, it, it's a really fantastic performance. So, I mean, basically through a series of flashbacks, you're shown this man like committing a series of murders that leads to his capture but also a series of like atrocities kind of over the course of his life that leads to that. But it also shows more so than, and, and again, like old boy probably comes the closest to this, the effect of this man's actions on the people that care about him. So his father, his mother, his wife, um, really, really bleak look at like the father and accuser's father is a Japanese Christian who's kind of, like, persecuted for his Christian beliefs, um, who's unwilling, like, unflagging in his Christian beliefs, even though, like, he's... He could live a better life. He could kind of divorce himself from, like, his son and, like, lose this shame and this guilt, but, like, he can't bring himself to because of his, like, religious beliefs. Um, Enukizu is a guy that... Sort of in the same way that, um... Kyung Chul in, uh... I saw the devil, like, has the ability to appear, like, domesticated and, like, calm at times. But underneath the surface is always, like, simmering. Like, this guy is truly, like, a social chameleon in the sense that he can appear to be normal and friendly and helpful, but is always going to do the thing that benefits him the most, including, like, murdering other people. And does so in a way with no regret and no no shame and honestly even at the end of the movie once he's captured no sense of consequence or guilt um really uh one of my favorite crime movies um one of my favorite movies of the 1970s um i i love shohi imamura um i think he's a really fantastic director um i know that there's a lot of there's a lot of, like, Criterion releases of Immemorial stuff, and he's definitely done, like, a bunch of great things. Have I seen anything else of his? <sighs> he did The Insect Woman, The Pornographers. Um, I, he, did, he did a movie called Black Rain, which is something that I would 
will be on a list at some point. It's kind of it's an adaptation of a novel about like the bombings of Hiroshima and oh, right. Nagasaki. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, no, I've never seen any of them. He won a Palm d'Or at one point for a movie okay. called The Ballad of Narayama. Okay. Um, he's he's very much in like my and I've only seen like maybe six of his movies, but every one of his movies to me is more about the examination of like the human condition and how how psychological events can shape a person. I guess maybe. Or how, like, external events can shape someone psychologically. Um, and this movie, I think... So, again, like... Enukizu, you know, witnesses his father... Like, basically... Capitulate to the demands of the Japanese Navy, I guess, maybe. <clears throat> and refuse to stand up for himself. Because to him, he's doing the Christian thing. Which is, like, turning the other cheek. But Enukizu doesn't see it as that. He sees it as weakness. So it's it's honestly like there's a lot of really as as sympathetic of a character as his father is, he's also kind of infuriating at times because like you almost feel the same rage that Enukizu feels where like how can his father allow himself to be debased when he could stand up for himself? Like why is he not standing up for himself? But at the same time, like, you understand from a Christian perspective, like, this man is, like, deeply spiritual and is truly trying to live, like, a Christ-like existence of not, you know, like, acting out against his aggressors, like, trying to be, like, a good man. <clears throat> um, to the point where uh, Enukizu um, marries, I guess she's, like, an innkeeper or something. She's, like, a, like a common woman. Mm -hmm. um, beautiful woman. And the woman actually falls in love with Enukizu's father and seduces him, tries to seduce him. And the father, as much as he's in love with, with her because he's in a loveless marriage with his wife, like refuses to give in to it, like even up to the end. Um, the ending of this movie, um, controversial between the two of us specifically, because I love the ending of this movie. I don't think that you're a big fan of the end. You mean the very end? The very, very, very end. Okay. So I, the, the sequence with him and his father... When the father comes and confronts, confronts him, confronts him at when the end, is ca beautifully Amazing. done and it was Fantastic. so well acted. But the very, <laughs> the very end sequence, so finds for, them throwing his ashes, his his bones, his bones. Sorry, off the bridge, and mm -hmm. ends in they're off a mountain peak. They're on like so oh, okay. They they go up a like a ski lift almost to the top of this mountain, and they're on like an observation right. deck, <clears throat> and um, they're throwing his bones off and. Listen, this, the special effects, if you want to call them that, are terrible. I mean, the movie, there's obviously no budget for these things. So as they're throwing the bones off, <laughs> the film, like, pauses. So the bones are basically suspended in air. Like, that's the, what, what the filmmaker, what, what MMR is trying to convey. And it's, it's done in a way that, like, these two, even though he's dead can never move past what he's done. Like, even though they're trying to divest themselves of him, like, in a, like a very physical way, like, of throwing him, like, off of a cliff to get rid of him, like, he still is, like, there and frozen in their lives and they can never move past it. I mean, I understand that, like, visually it's kind of hokey. Yeah, I just, but think, I just think it looks fucking stupid. It, it, it kind of does, yeah. right? But at the same time, like, philosophically, like, there's... Sure. It's... It's pretty, pretty profound. And 
the whole point of this movie, which is, can you ever really escape, like, your past? Can you ever get past, like, the things that you've done or the things that have been done to you? Yeah, I think what, I, I think what it is is when you introduce some kind of, like, minor supernatural thing at the very last moment of something that does not have anything like that in it, I think it can't, to some degree, come off without feeling hokey, to use your word. Like, yeah. And I just think it was a completely unnecessary choice. There's other ways of showing without being so artistic about it for a film that like wasn't going to those depths to be as artistic about these statements. I just thought it was something that like could have been done in a different way and didn't have to have what I feel is just like very minor. It's not like I like this ruined the movie for me or anything, but I mean the last image is something you take away with you. And it's like, I do think it's a small, small stain on the movie to me. I, I, I think I, I thought the movie's also pacing is not good. Like I, I I thought it dragged like, like a lot, a lot in the middle. I thought it dragged and there, and there were scenes that would bring you back in and then it would drag for another 10 minutes. I mean, to me, to me, those slow scenes, like, especially, so at one point, Enokizu pretends to be a professor from a university and rents a room at what's, what's in essence a whorehouse and begins an affair with the proprietor, this woman who lives with her mother. Um, so there's a long stretch in the latter middle third of the movie to the, like, the last third where there's almost like some domesticity that's happening, like where the woman mm-hmm. obviously falls in love with him. And you kind of get the impression that he's sort of fallen in love with her, but ends up killing her anyway. Um, he finds out that she's pregnant. Like, there's something inside him where he he can't fathom, like, producing a child, basically. And so he murders her, murders her mother. Um, I, I There are scenes in there that, that are slow. And there are some scenes that are long. But at the same time, like... I never feel like it drags. Like to me, it's it's very purposeful and it's very. I I don't know this. This is number one on my list because to me, this is the most artistically daring and compelling look at like the true psychological nature of what makes someone sure. Right, and I like that aspect of it. I just and what not not only that, but again, like to my point earlier, how does how does that person's actions affect the other people around him? Both in, like, the very immediate sense of him murdering, you know, the, the woman that runs the whorehouse, the mother, like, all these people that trust him and, like, his chameleon-like personality is able to take in, but also his father, his wife, his mother, like, how his actions affect them and how callous he is towards, you know, to that end. Yeah. Um... I don't know. Like, I... Again, like, I, I think Ogata is amazing in it as an Akizu. Like, it's one of my favorite... One of my favorite character performances ever, I think. Um, from the perspective of just, like... In the same way that um, uh, Choi, Choi Min-sik is, like, so fantastic at portraying, you know, these characters that can, like, switch, like, on a like a split second between like a normal person and like a killer. I think Ogata is the same way. And I think that, you know, Enukizu was such like a nuanced character for being like such a psychopath and such like a monster. Like there's so many times where you see like, 
it's not just a veneer of like normalcy. It actually can be like normalcy, mm-hmm. but he can also like immediately change to being like a cold blooded murderer. And I think yeah. it's it's much more immediate and shocking when the violence comes with him yeah. because you don't expect it because you forget that he's a psychopath. And you're so tense sometimes because you do expect it and then it doesn't happen. Like you, you can see, like the seething like rage like building in him and then something like diffuses it and he doesn't do the thing or the scene where she she realizes that he's a killer like when they're coming out of the movie theater at one point she realizes it and she still stays with him and his fear of being discovered like one of the few times where he's truly like maybe even like humanized in the whole movie is like that where he's genuinely like affectionate towards her and wants to like stay with her yeah and they're, you know, like, having sex later, and they're making the plans about, like, <clears throat> we're going to, like, leave, we're going to run away. And you almost feel like maybe he does feel hopeful that he can, like, start a life with her, but then he still ends up, like, killing her. And it's, I don't know, in, in, in a genre, and to, like, bring it back to our original conversation of the podcast about, you know, what what's the difference between, like, these kind of movies and, like, slasher movies, right? So in a genre where you can just kind of, like, take the easy way and just have somebody just be a killer. Like, you don't have to explain why they're a killer. You don't have to, like, explore it. Like, I think... I think the depths that MMR goes to to kind of portray, like, the whole cloth of this guy's life is really, like, fascinating and it's really compelling. And I don't know. Like, I just really... I love it. Yeah. It's, it's another movie. This is the second MMR movie I ever saw. The first one being The Pornographer's. Um, and I've, again, I've seen like, like six or so, but such a revelation the first time I saw this, like I was, this was something where I was buying Criterion Collection movies at like probably an unhealthy pace at one point. And this is just something where it was like the next like number in the spine that I had to get. So I bought this, I think like the day it came out. These are the border days, right? No, this was, maybe. Anyway, like I owned this movie like the first like day that it was released. Or within, like, a week because I was, like, so obsessive about having, like, every Criterion <clears throat> movie. So I knew nothing about it going into it except that I liked the pornographers. Mm-hmm. Um, but just, like, completely blown away by, like, everything about it. And the brutality, without being gratuitous at all, like, showing scenes of, like, sex without really being, like, titillating sex. Like, it's very, very base and very uncomfortable but very human, right? Like, and so on, so like tense, like a lot of those scenes where you just, you get to the point where you're never sure if he's going to just like end a scene and leave or murder somebody. And I think that that tension, like as it builds throughout the movie, I think it's just really effective. Yeah. And I like this movie. I'm just not as high on it as you are. I think it's a good character study. I think it has some really great scenes. The rape sequence that I don't think we talked about. There's a scene where he's watching... Um, her get raped at one point with and the, him and the mother are in the um back room and he has to like control himself. Oh from yeah, going right, out the, guy and stopping, the guy that's her pimp, right? Basically. Yeah, and he, and he has to control himself. <clears throat> and I think it's a really just brutal scene. Um, it is, and 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 to watch him as awful as he is, like act, like want to do the right thing and like stop it from happening, but having to like let it. Go well, along. and so, but then again, it also calls into question, is he doing that because he genuinely, he cares about her 
not necessarily, like, he cares about her, obviously, because he wants to stop it, and because that stopping is the right thing to do. Is he not stopping it because he realizes that it will cause more harm to her, or because he ultimately realizes it will cause more harm to him? Mm. Right? Mm. So, like, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, <clears throat> this, this is a movie that, in the same sense of, like, uh, Calvary, where I don't know that I would necessarily recommend this movie. To people to see, but I think that like, I think if you like complex like character studies and you are okay with seeing like some pretty disturbing violence and like sexual violence and it's just it, it 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 doesn't pull any punches like it never the camera never pulls away from like the shot you know what I mean but it never also yeah I, I I don't yeah I don't see it as gratuitous at all like I think it's natural to the <clears> film <throat> itself and it, it's like the least uh, besides M. It's the least offensive, I think, like on this list possibly yeah. in terms of the violent content yeah. of it. But I mean, I I, I truly love it, and it's, yeah, it's and I think the I think the father and um, uh, wife characters are really extremely well acted. Yeah, and that storyline is really really, well really heartbreaking in a lot of it ways. It is absolutely, and um, for as as much as you get angry at the father for his inaction, you also feel a lot of pity and sympathy for him. Sure, for being and actually some respect for being so committed to the ideal. Yeah. It, it also, it's a really good examination, I think, and we'll, like, like, end on this maybe, is that, of, like, just the treatment of women in Japanese society, and I don't know, I don't know what MMR is, like, saying, but I think that it definitely shows, like, the lack of respect or the view of women as being, like, disposable assets or property almost. Um, but yeah, just, if you have any interest in, in Japanese cinema... Especially, like, kind of like the avant-garde cinema of, like, the 70s. I think it's definitely worth watching. It's good to know that 1979 Japan is um, no different than 19 or uh, 2018 America. So, mm-hmm. um, so good. Um, as good list. I mean, I enjoyed all these movies, whether it was for the first time or the um, second or third time, um, to one degree or another. Um, so next week we are going to introduce our first, uh, third man series where we'll be talking about the, uh, uh, best movies of M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, you can email us if you have any of your own list at two guys, five movies at gmail.com. That's two guys, five movies to the number two and five, two guys, five movies at gmail.com. You can also friend or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, and then, um, we should probably hear in like the next um, next month or two, we should probably have uh, the twoguysfivemovies.com website up and running where you can also listen to the podcast beyond iTunes and Google Play or any of the podcast apps that Google Play uh, feeds to um, and Stitcher and those kind of sources. So you can also uh, listen to it on the web besides Podbean, which is uh, where we post through. So we'll have even more options for people to listen. So thank you for listening, everybody, and have a good weekend. See you next week.